0: We live in a world of disposables. Disposable diapers, disposable plates, and even disposable relationships. In this world where everything seems to be biodegradable and temporary, we must find something permanent to focus our life meaning upon. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, is going to open the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses eight through 13 you will encounter something that will outlast even this present universe. Love never fails. Love never fails. As I've been meditating and praying to the Lord about this paragraph of Scripture, it's called to mind the idea of disposables. And I got to thinking about all the disposables there are in our culture. Named some of them well you can tell where my mind gravitates automatically i thought of disposable jennifer thought it too so you know i know where she is and i remember how i rejoiced when our kids had finally escaped from that time and we no longer needed disposable diapers and i no longer needed to struggle with pampers that were supposed to hold but they didn't disposable diapers what are some other disposable things another thing that i thought of When Joshua and Janae came along, we no longer needed glass bottles. We didn't need a glass milk bottle. Now, there were some other reasons why I didn't need them for Joshua and Janae. And sometimes when Mary was too tired and Dad didn't need to get up in the middle of the night, I would get one of those disposable plastic containers, stick in the microwave. I had it down to a perfect timing. One minute on our microwave would do it perfectly. No longer burning baby's mouth. And then you just throw the thing away. What are some other disposable things that you can think of? Lighters, disposable lighters. All right, what else do we have that's disposable? Dishes, paper plates and napkins and all that. Good, whenever Mary doesn't want to spend a lot of time cleaning up, you get the disposable plates out. Flashlights, we don't want them to be disposable, but usually they end up being. You know what I noticed around Midlothian? Disposable automobiles. They drive in these trucks, crash. You know, they're just flat as a pancake. And there you go, disposable automobiles. If you stop and think about it, look around you, and I want you to try to find something that's not disposable. You see, what really hit me about this paragraph of Scripture is that it doesn't tell us about disposables alone. It tells us about the non-disposables the things that will never be smashed like a pancake and put into a furnace and boom, you know, they're just completely melted down. And that beautiful MG or that beautiful Corvette or that beautiful BMW, that beautiful Mercedes that someone just put all their life in and all the meaning of life and just like that, it's gone. What 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about this morning, and I want us just to, to adore the Lord about this precious gift, He talks to us about a non-disposable thing. He talks to us about some disposables, some important disposables in the spiritual life, and then He talks to us about some non-disposables, especially one significant one that will never, never be disposed of. My longing as a pastor-teacher is for every one of you to not build your life on disposables. The thing that hurts me the most, the thing that I talk to the Lord about the most, is that agonizing deception when Satan works in your life and causes you to begin to pour in all your energy and all of your desires and all of your commitment into what is disposable. What is non-disposable is love never is disposed of. Now, the word that's used here for love never fails goes back to the previous paragraph and talks about the fact that nothing can stand against love. Nothing can attack love and wipe it out. Nothing can can come against it. No darkness can hit it and cause it to be snuffed out. We're talking about that reality in the heart of God that I can't totally define. I can tell you the way that it acts. I can tell you that this love of God, this love of God in Christ is a patient love. I can tell you that Christ patience is you today. That Christ kindness is you today. Bad English, but it gets across the activity of God. As we sit here this morning, Christ is acting kindly towards you. Christ is acting patiently towards you today. Christ is not puffed up with pride. He's not arrogant. Christ is not jealous in the sense that that He covets what someone else has and wants to have it and is jealous of someone else's success. Christ is totally at ease in His personality about His abilities and who He is. Christ doesn't keep a record of wrongs. In other words, as you look back over your life, every single one of us in this room can remember things that we've done that have totally failed Christ. Things that have made him very angry at that activity because it's sinful and it's so negative and it's so destructive. And yet the moment that we come in repentance and we say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And 1 Corinthians 13 says that love never keeps a record of the wrongs that are done against it. So Christ is totally not keeping a record of the sins that we've committed against Him. Christ is the ultimate definition of what Paul is talking about when he talks about love. And it's this love. I saw a video, a marvelous quartet of singers that were singing about the power of love. And everybody ended up dancing in the streets and they talked about we can overcome. We can do anything because we have a power of love in our life. And I was thinking, no you, no, you can't. It's arrogant for me to say I can overcome anything because my love is bigger than anything. What the group was saying is our love, the passion within us can overcome anything. No, they can't. I'm disposable in myself. And my feelings are not ultimate reckoning points. But the power of love is in my life and it's the power of Christ. And the power of Christ is in your life and it will never fail. That reality of the person of Christ loving through me will never be disposed of. Nothing can attack it and can overcome it. And that's what Paul means when he talks about love never fails because he began this book by talking about the foolishness of the cross and how the wisdom of the world in chapter 1 and 2 was mocked in the foolishness of God's gift of its sacrificed savior so when paul talks about love never failing he's not talking about the power of human love but the power of christ like love and christ living inside of us to enable us to reach out and to love others and therefore love Never can be destroyed, it also will always endure, which is the point of this paragraph. Love will always endure. Now the Apostle Paul talks to us about some things that will not endure, some things that will be not eternal. He talked to us about some things that we might not expect to be abolished or nullified. In fact, Mary, when she was reading over my outline, she said, Dave... Are you sure that this is what you meant to say? Spiritual gifts are disposable? She was saying, Dave, what in the world are disposable spiritual gifts? Brothers and sisters, I cannot build my entire life on what I'm doing right now. I want to share something with you. Very much of the heartbeat of my life is to do what I'm doing right now. Because there's a drive within me to want to share God's Word. It's very meaningful for me to be able to study God's Word and to have the Holy Spirit illuminate some ideas and then to be able to share it with God's people. And there's a tremendous drive in my life from the Spirit to do that. But I want to share something with you. You will not listen to me and get your seat sore every Sunday the moment that Christ comes. You will never have to listen to me again. You won't come and say, oh, we want to learn, because when Dave teaches from the Word, there's some things that he brings out that I never saw there. Because that's what a lot of you will say. and say, Dave, I didn't see that there. But after we talked about it on Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit started to work in my life, I said, yes, the Lord is saying that. And it builds me up in my faith. And it motivates me to want to study more on my own and to learn on my own. But I want to share something for you. When we get to heaven, you won't need that. You'll know God's word just as well as me, if not better, if you can even talk about better. You won't, just, you won't need that anymore. You know what else? You won't need a prophet anymore. You say, Dave, hey, where are you getting that from? Look at the verse. Love never fails. Then Paul says, but whether there be prophecies, they will be abolished. They will be nullified. They will come to a time where they're no longer needed. This marvelous first century gift, which was very much alive in the first century, it's what gave us the Holy Scriptures. It was that ability where the Apostle Paul would have the Spirit of God descend upon his life and fill him, and he would begin to declare in an intelligible way the very revelation of the thought of God. And he would be able to tell us about the fact that Christ is coming. Something we could never find out through our own personal investigation. But Paul would reveal to us, there will come a day when you will not all sleep, but you'll all be changed. And that marvelous hope that Christ is coming back would be revealed to a group of believers. And we now have it in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 5. But Paul says there will come a day when the prophetic gift will cease. And what he's saying is that there will come a day when you won't need to have special, designated, gifted mouthpieces for God because every one of you will be able to stand face-to-face with God and let Jesus talk to you. We're going to find out later in this passage there will come a day when your heart will be so one with the Lord Jesus that you will know His thoughts. You will have that kind of intimate relationship and you won't have to listen to someone else We'll all be able just to praise together from the same kinds of intimacy, the same kinds of knowledge. So you can't build your life on just the teaching gift, just even the prophetic gift. Whether they be tongues, there will come a time when they will cease. I don't believe that Paul means to make a big deal exactly about when prophecy ceased and when tongues ceases. I really don't think that this passage gives us very much insight into exactly when some of these spiritual gifts might cease. It doesn't really tell us that. That's not its point. Its point is to cause us to realize that these things are not sufficiently strong enough to build our spiritual lives upon because they will not endure forever. They're disposable. Whether or not tongues was the language of heaven or whether it was an intelligible human language that was not learned is a debatable issue. But I want to share something with you. When we get to heaven, we'll all be speaking whatever language is, the heavenly language, and it won't be any big deal. Everybody will do it. So it's not that important. It doesn't last. There will come a day when it will cease. It won't be needed. But love always endures. Knowledge really hit home for me. As I look back over my spiritual pilgrimage, I think that probably there's been a great deal of time building my life on knowledge, trying to find out another fact, trying to to sit by Dave Lowry and for both of us to sit there and be able to say, well, you know, we do as well as anybody else that's here. And I remember those days. They were great. They were joyous days. They were days that really honed Dave and I as we sat together class after class and learned. But, you know, there was a great danger in those days as well. There was a danger in pursuing those doctoral degrees because it was possible to feel, you know, when I get those doctoral degrees, when people recognize that I have that knowledge, then I'm going to be somebody. Then my life will have meaning. Then my life will be significant. Then I will have accomplished what I'm supposed to accomplish and I'll really feel good inside about myself. And Paul says, David, knowledge is not a sufficient basis to build your spiritual life upon. Because there will come a time, like I was just sharing with you, when everyone will have that knowledge that knows Christ, when the Spirit of God will make the people of God so knowledgeable about the Son of God that they won't need teachers anymore, will just need love and praise and bringing adoration to the person of God. So beware of the gift of knowledge, which in the first century was very much related to the gift of Prophecy. It was that ability we learn in the early part of this chapter to understand all mysteries and to have all knowledge. You see how those two go together? It's those profound insights that a man like Paul had into the thinking of God, into the plan of God, into the purpose of God. And as good as that is, it's not strong enough to build your spiritual life upon In verse 9, Paul began to develop this worship of knowledge and revealing the danger of making a cognitive Christianity or a head Christianity the ultimate foundation of the spiritual life. And he says this, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. The Apostle Paul who wrote those words knew more of the revelation of God than anyone else in all the Scripture, except Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, there is probably a more complete elucidation of the thought and the plan and the purposes of God. We know in part, and even the prophecy that we get. Now, he's not saying that the prophecy that he gave that's recorded for us in the Holy Scripture is inaccurate. He's not saying that it's not a clear revelation of what God wants us to know. But he says, don't stick out your chest about it and think you're so smart because it hasn't begun to be told. Remember when John closed the book of the Gospel of John? He says that the heavens couldn't contain what could be written about the Son of God. So I could go to seminary for nine years and say, well, I now control the Word of God, which I don't. I can't even control the revelation God has given us. But if I'm ever lifted up with pride and say, well, now I control the Holy Scriptures. Paul says, no, Dave, you've only got part of it. It's going to take all of eternity for you to be able to comprehend the height and the depth and the love of the true God of heaven and earth. So there's no room for pride. There's only room for childlike dependence. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. Now the key thing that we need to ask ourselves in this verse, in verse 10, is what do we mean by the perfect or the complete? the bringing together of all things. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he uses this phrase, means the coming of Christ. It's when Christ returns and takes us to live with him and begins to set up his eternal kingdom. For example, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul will say this, not that I have already attained or had already become perfect. And he goes on to say, but I press towards the mark "...for the prize of the upward call of God." In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about his life like a journey where he's pressing towards maturity in Christ and he looks forward to a day when the perfect will come. Paul does not use the idea of the perfect for the canon of Scripture, although he would hold that the revelation of God in the Holy Scriptures is perfect in the sense that it's without error that it's all God-breathed, that it is complete in the sense that it's all that we need for life and for godliness. He would use that, but Paul did not use this terminology about an idea that at the end of the first century, the perfect would come, that would be the completed revelation, and that's when all the spiritual gifts would cease, which is sometimes the way this text is taught. That idea of the perfect equaling the canon of Scripture is not common to Paul's thought. Paul would believe that the canon was accurate like that, but he did not use the phrase, the perfect, to refer to that event. He also did not use it of an idea of when we grow to maturity in this life, there will come a time when we no longer need spiritual gifts. That's really not fair to Paul because that's almost to demean some of the spiritual gifts. In fact, sometimes even some brothers that are very close to me have tried to say what well, the Apostle Paul is saying is when you get spiritually mature, then you won't need, for example, tongues anymore. And they use that as an argument for the fact that tongues is a bad negative thing. Paul does not say that the spiritual gift of tongues is a bad negative thing. He doesn't say that. He would never tell the Corinthians that because in their day there's no argument that it was a legitimate gift of the Spirit. Now we'll talk about some dangers and some reasons why I believe that we don't have God giving that direct revelation the same sense that He gave the Corinthians. You'll have to come next week for that. But I want to make it very clear that Paul would not derogate tongues or say that it was a negative thing. What he would say is that both prophecy and the gift of knowledge and the gift of tongues will be done away with They will no longer be needed because the prophecy will all be fulfilled and everyone will be speaking the language of heaven. They will no longer be needed when the perfect, when the Son of God and all of His glory returns and takes us to live with Him forever and ever. And what that should do in all of our lives is cause a humility. If I'm a Bible church person, it should cause a humility in my life. I won't be proud about my knowledge. I won't be proud about my degrees. I won't be going around, wait, we know the book much better than you do. That's not spiritual maturity. That's childishness. And if I'm a charismatic, I won't say, well, I speak in tongues. And the Spirit of God comes upon me and causes me to, to jump higher than I can ever jump before. And I roll and I'm all excited and the music just moves in me. And I'm the spiritual one. I'm the one that's really close to God. Paul would say no. Neither one of you got your eyes in the right place. You've got to get your eyes on the ultimate lover. You need to get your eyes on the love and the patience and the kindness and the forgiveness and the freedom from resentment that can only come in Christ. In other words, character. A growing, maturing character that one day when Christ returns will be made complete. And that idea of child, uh, against childishness, you see, it's childish to get your all of your life centered in the things that don't endure, that don't last forever. And that's why he says in the next verse, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child, I thought like a child, but now that I've become a man, I have put away the things of a child. What the Apostle Paul is saying that in his own life, there's a sense in which the Lord is bringing him to a place where he now knows the things that he needs to focus on that will endure. And that's what he means when he says, now that I've become a man, I put away childish things. The childish things that the Corinthians needed to be put away was their dependence and their pride and their divisions over the fact that they were building their spiritual life on what the Spirit of God was doing through them and all the exciting gifts they had instead of building it on togetherness in a family and building up one another and getting involved in one another's lives and really caring for people and loving people like Christ loves them. And Paul was trying to get them off that childish trip of pride of thinking about themselves and trying to get them to think about others. He also in this verse is insinuating this idea. We're all childlike right now. And that's what he's getting at in the next verse. We're all not, he doesn't want us to be childish and to be all prideful about things that won't endure. And therefore a church family, no matter what you believe about tongues, no matter what you believe about the charismatic movement, no matter what you believe about God's healing in the world today, no matter what you believe about any of those things, those things should never cause you to have to be divisive in the family of God. should never cause you to have to leave brothers and sisters because Paul would say, listen, it's just not that important. It's just not that important. What's important is learning how to get along and how to love like Christ, and how to get Christ into your life more and more and more that he expresses his life through us. And even the first century, where there was no debate about the validity of these gifts, the Corinthians had forgotten that. And I believe that much of evangelism across the United States has forgotten that. We're all so afraid of one another. We're all so uptight. We're so uptight, we can't even listen to what the other person is saying. We even forget the basic things that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us. And oh, I would pray that our church family would be an open family, free from intimidation, open to allow the Word of God to speak. Because I'm a child this morning, and so are you. Not childish, but a child. My knowledge is still childlike. And that's what Paul means to me. He says, you know, now we just see through a glass... Dimly. Then we shall see face to face.